Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Have you heard about the newest brothel? Oh, Lamar Odom over Sex robot. That's some sick stuff. I hope that he's able to get it together. It's clear that that's not a player's organization. And this teacher gives him slack. But he goes to this other teacher that's no nonsense. He knows that. I got to play this right. Vontae Day quits at halftime. They were sharing with him that he's being traded. He said he wanted to call his grandma. In the middle of the process. Fitz Magic. Jimmy Butler because Jimmy Butler has a heart and I I don't have a heart. If you in a brawl, I don't want Stephen Jackson. Now all of a sudden, Jimmy Butler looks a little pervy now. Because that fool said pass rushes are hard to find. <laughs> and you and just you, traded one. And you gave up the best one. Why are you not showing Jacksonville no love? Just because they beat up on your team. I'm not sold on board. As New England, are they sold on them. Side pieces fits match. <laughs> See, your side piece got to be the one to understand. Make sure you bookmark <laughs> this show. Crab Leg said when he come back week four, he started. I do not want Capital One ruining. The memories of Prince and Michael Jackson. Of course, he was nothing. That, that was the I never wanted. Tell me why. Tell me why. <laughs> no, 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 hey. no. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new technique and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. We're getting ready to have a live spectacle. What we were trying to say. You got to walk home. Walk home. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. To reach Devin Wade with a question or comment, follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Be a part of the group on Facebook by joining the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or liking the page. Welcome to episode 73 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. And boy, what a great addition we have for you this time out. We have... Eddie Robinson in the building, former NFL linebacker, Houston Oilers, Jacksonville Jaguar, Buffalo Bill, and I think that's it. Maybe one other. I don't, well, I always forget. But nonetheless, he's in the house. We're going to talk some NFL, a lot of NFL. And of course, we have a number of wonderful segments coming up for you guys, including brand new. We'll hit you with some headlines, this or that. And then we'll hit you with Hero or Zero. After that, we'll hear from Kalina with Why We Kneel. And that'll wrap up the first half of the show. In the second half, special guest M.K. Bauer will be in the uh, building for a conversation. Well, he'll be on the phone for a conversation talking all things Major League Baseball. We'll get you geared up for the playoffs. And it should be a whole lot of fun as the Astros about to kick off, and the Yankees and uh, Red Sox. So it's all about to get underway, and we'll get you all geared up for that. With that, want to bring in Eddie Robinson. How are you, Eddie? Oh, doing good, man. Like you said, it's a great time of the year. Of course, you have um, you know the, the playoff baseball, which is always exciting. College football is in full swing. Uh, NFL football is getting going. You're getting to that October, November run. So it's just a good time to be a sports fan. Oh, no doubt about it. And like I said, all three things will be going on. And Rockets it's a, playing yeah, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I, almost two shows a week we'll have to do. I don't know. I, I'll have to start doing two podcasts a week. There's so much NFL information alone. But before we get into the sports stuff, let's get into what's brand new. Brand new what's brand, brand new, new in your new. world? What's going on off of the fields of play when you are not uh, locked in on a game or Little League or even a Little League, what's going on in, in your world? What's what's new in the world? Because people, you know, you do these podcasts and people want to know you. So what's new in your world? 
I think probably the biggest thing for me is I have a, a freshman college student away from the house for the first time. So, you know, he's up at North Carolina A&T, so that's always exciting. He's playing a little football. He's getting red-shirted this year. So now I'm actually keeping up with the MEAC. You know, we were just talking about how we were SWAT guys, but now I'm, I'm paying attention more to East Coast football and went up there to one of the games, so that was real cool. So, you know, it, See, it's, I always it's, it's fun having a kid that's away, but you still – Still stay connected with them. See, I was disqualified the MEAG and the CIAA because they played in the daytime. You know, I'm like, you can't play good football in the daytime. We would go play Morgan State at like 1 o'clock. And now, you know, obviously, I think through research, they started to say, well, hey, some of these daytime games are more family-friendly, more folks will come out. You know, back in the day when it, swag was all about well, nighttime. Well, swag, swag was always 7 p.m. And I'm going to tell you what, it took me a while to get used to playing in the NFL because I went from 7 p.m. games to 12 noon games. I was, I, I really just – it took me like a good year just to get used to jumping up early and getting ready to go because I was just used to hanging around in the dorm or, or whatever we were doing and getting ready for that night game. But keep in mind, most of the schools in the SWAC are in Mississippi, Alabama, so it's real big college football. So you don't want to compete with LSU or Alabama or Mississippi State. So you play those night games, and then you get a bigger crowd. And so Plus, it's so hot in the South. you got to play at night. Right, right. You can't hey, kick off at 1 o'clock in September. But I, I, think, I think that's an adjustment. You, you touched on something I thought about because I never did well in, in, in my little brief way. Whatever I did, I never did well in the daytime. I think you know your your whole focus, your energy, your body, your body clock sort of ramps up. Because yep. even if you're in school, you you don't practice until the Til evening, the late afternoon. Right. And so, yeah, that is quite an adjustment to play on Sundays for a lot of folks. But, yeah, so, yeah, so that's a good deal. Uh, he was okay with the storm. I mean, I know Greensboro is way far in. Yeah, it's, it's off the coast. But, I, you know, a couple people, you know, of course, his mom and grandparents, oh, you ought to fly the boy home. I'm like, look, man, you from you from Houston. If you can't handle a hurricane in Carolina, so right. go to Walmart, buy you some snacks. You'll be <laughs> all right. If it floods, go to the the top floor y'all college students figure it out and, and so the good <laughs> thing about being in college these days you got the cell phones yeah back exactly. when i was in school you had calling cards and you had a lot of guys yeah, that sprint card yeah but you know i i think i would have liked it better well i know i would have like when we were in school because we had one phone in the middle of the hallway right. you might have had 30 rooms to the left and 30 rooms to the right and it was always like one or two pay phones. Now, you yeah. had one guy that was from Mississippi who was in love with his girlfriend <laughs> to talk to. So as soon as he got off the phone, you had to run hurry up and make your phone call. And like you said, it was no long distance, no texting. Right. Now I can hit him up every day like, hey, what's oh, going on? So what you doing? Trouble. Where you at? Let me pull up the app, see where you at. You know, all that type of stuff. So, so are you a helicopter parent in that way? No, nah, not at all. I don't I do not do the apps and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I, I feel like if you put the time in when the kid is young, now I check on him. And I look at the bank account. I can see where the money coming oh, out oh, from. Yeah, yeah. All those type of things. And I get text messages immediately. If you at the corner store too many times, I'm gonna wonder what's up. You yeah. Know? But other than that, I mean, you have to have to trust your kids. But it's it's, it's I think uh, I probably worry about it more than I thought I would uh, being a parent. But I think it's really good. I was talking to one of my baseball kids today because he's a high school freshman. Of course, the coaches are checking up on him. He's a baseball player. And I think that's the good thing when your son is away and he's playing football because the coach is going to make sure he has study hall. They're going to make sure there's a curfew. There's some level of organization as opposed to a kid that's just gone. <laughs> right. And you, you get up to go to class. Like, if he missed class, the coach is going to know. You right. know? So you, you have that check and balances. I think, I think that's a good thing. 
uh, for most of those kids. Well, I have some parents coming up uh, getting the Lamont Award a little bit later on in the second half of the show. Um, but what's new with me is we had a couple shows and we had some audio issues and we've had a few uh, in studio and I've been working out of several studios. So we're working out a brand new studio today. Hadn't worked in this studio uh, and I do some stuff from home, but not a lot of stuff from home. But the last one of the last few uh, was really, really bad. The audio sounded like it was so in tune. <laughs> Sounded like I had swallowed the microphone. Oh. It sounded like it, it was it was terrible, and I had to edit it out. Sound like the Migos. You had the you had the auto tune. Yeah, going. mumble <laughs> mumble rap. <laughs> yeah, I was mumble talking. Yeah, no, it was it was rough. So I, I apologize if sometimes the audio is off. We are try we effort real hard to make sure that we have really quality, high quality, the best quality audio. The other thing that's brand new for me is I feel like I want to you know that I'm a poet, right? I, I did a book okay. years ago. I don't okay. know if you knew that. No, I, I, didn't I, know I did that. a book. I didn't know that. And I'm a playwright and I've done all of those things. And so I have I'm a creative. Okay. Right. But I I've lately I've been inspired to, to grow locks and, and I wanna how did, how's I, that coming? I wanna, I'm, well, I'm looking at you right I, now. It's, it's it's in the infant stage. You have to it. miss a couple haircuts, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and I wanna I wanna grow my locks. I wanna you know get some kind of oils from somewhere or something from from the motherland, and I wanna light some incense and do some spoken word on the metro. <laughs> yeah, we, we hit yeah. the snapping fingers. Well, <laughs> I want to do that on the metro. On the metro, yeah. you got you need to get you need, to, you need to get hey. you a, a, a African drum, the kind that you yeah. sit between your legs and you cross your legs around it. <laughs> no, you say you say. Why would you want to do it on the metro? Have you seen the commercials? Have you seen this campaign Metro is doing? Where they're doing spoken word over catching the bus on, on I'm the like, metro. What in the hell? But <laughs> like you, who in the hell? But is you talk about that. But you know, back when we were kids on on that. Uh, that New Orleans Public Service bus. I mean, it was some of the best rap battles ever seen. <laughs> I mean, the bus driver had to pull over. Hey, y'all, break it up back there. But well, I mean, I tell you what. I guarantee you, you're not inspired to go ride the bus because somebody's doing spoken word over a 30-second commercial. It depends on how good it is. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the commercial? I've seen the commercial. Uh, that yeah. is, what? Oh, first of all, I liked the commercial last year when they had the, the TSU kid that was in the band. Okay. Now that, he, that was a good commercial. Here's my issue. Here's, here's my issue with all that. And, and I, I mean, whatever you think of the commercials, why is mass transit advertising? First of all, it's a necessity for 95% of the people. The only people you're talking to are a few park and ride people out in the suburbs, and that damn show not going to be moved by the spoken word and finger popping. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, they're they either going to do it or they're not. Yeah. Yeah, so I, that's just one of my odd observations. I've learned, I've, I've observed a lot about some of these commercials that are out. Some of these things are too sort of, I'm too cynical about them and they're a little too dark for me it's, to comment on. It's purely on. entertainment. But. If they got you talking about it, then the commercial has worked. So no, that, it, it has only worked. Works because if you get my ass on the bus. That's the next step. But the first step <laughs> is you got to talk about it. If you see a commercial and it doesn't evoke a response, then I mean it's horrible. As long <laughs> as long as you talking about it, good or bad, then hey, they got I, a well, chance. Well, I tell you what, you guys send me a tweet if you have been inspired by the commercial to hop on the bus, to or, or the monorail or whatever. So yeah, I, I guess. In that regard, it may be a success, but until I do it I, and I don't feel inspired to do it, uh, then we'll know. So with that, let's get into some headlines. Now, in the headlines, a lot going on in the world of sports. Uh, Pat Mahomes continues to do his thing. He got a win on the road, faced adversity for the first time, came from behind, 
We're trailing about 10 yep, in the fourth quarter. 10. I mean, you, and, you, you could see it happening. I mean, Vance Joseph, I played against Vance in high school. Got a lot of respect for that guy. But the, the coverages that they were in just didn't make a lot of sense. Well, I know that on some of those third and longs, he was, he was in man coverage. Correct. And, and of course, and Sam, we have a mobile quarterback. And Sammy quarterback. Watkins wasn't out there. So, I mean, at that point, you, you know it's going to Kelsey or the other little kid, you know, but – I mean, at at that point, you just 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 felt like that that Denver. You could see it happening. I mean, you anybody who didn't think Kansas City was going to come back, then you you had to be crazy. Well, you know? I will say this, and I addressed this on Twitter. Somebody made a joke like, "Of oh, the least intimidating words you'll ever hear." You know, Case Keenum is coming onto the field. Well, you know what? If, uh, yeah, you, here we go. Here we go with this. Man. Here we go with this U of H thing. Uh, wah, go wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking to my cousin today, who's also a Saints fan. He, we both from New Orleans, of course. And we were saying that the Philadelphia Eagles, to me, they won the Super Bowl. So you never, you never apologize for who you beat. But at the same time. They got to the Super Bowl because they were able to face a Case Keenum Vikings team right. as opposed right. to a Drew Brees Saints right. team because of one play. You know, so I mean, well, it wasn't one play. It was one you play. Know one the play one play at the end of the game. the game. Hey, like my coach always told me, you can make a mistake, don't make the last mistake. Is <laughs> <laughs> that that point is your fault? <laughs> well, yeah, well, for all they say about Case, you know, don't 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 sleep on Case. Case is just he, he Case is just a guy. He, he is just well, a no, guy. No, he's better than he a guy. He is just a guy. No, there are a lot of guys around. What Case the is is a great backup, but he's not a starter. I was well, I was well, just how you, the man took his team to okay, the let's, NFC. Let's, let's let me go. I did not think we would start the argument with this. Hey, but hey, you you brought it up because you are with the U of H with the cool stuff. No, that's <laughs> but, the wrong symbol. Well, that's, that's I, cool. who knows what it is. Nobody. <laughs> let's let's <laughs> send a tweet. If you know what the U of H is, it's, a, it's is. a hand signal, but yeah. I mean, nobody knows it. But anyway, but, but my point is this. Every quarterback, you look at every GM, you're going to determine if, if a guy is a backup, you're a two-game backup. I mean, you get me through two games. You might get me through six games, maybe half a season. Maybe you like the guy for Philly. You could get me through the whole season, but I'm still going back to my starter the next year. Okay? Fitzpatrick. He's about a three or four game backup. So he had those two great games. It's like baseball. It's magic. You hit four home runs in the first series. You're not going to hit any for the next month. So he he went right back to what he was. He's a backup. Case Keenum is the same way. He's not a starter. Now, he's a great backup. He can get you through about a good eight games, but he's not a starter. I'm, they'll be competing. No, they will not be competing. Burn. They'll be lucky if they win eight games. Well, I mean, Case Keenum, when I'm looking at TV, all, when he throws the out route, it's like 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. <laughs> <laughs> the dude but, arm but if you, is like a pop gun arm. Yeah, I don't care what he quarter, does. He's he a fourth quarter quarterback. Fourth quarter quarterback. Hey, That's because he's always losing because he sucks in <laughs> the first three quarters. Well, okay. The, well, he had a game this year where he had four touchdowns and three interceptions. Yeah. And still, they won that game. So, I mean, I didn't – again. He is not is, a starting quarterback. This is not he, that that offense down. will not make the playoffs because of Case Keenum. They're looking for okay, a quarterback. Uh, he's a fill-in. Name running backs. And you watched them last night. He's name a, their running back. He's a fill-in. They don't have any good running exactly. backs. Exactly. But the point is Case Keenum – They got one good receiver. Case Keenum is not a starting quarterback. Who's the tight end? Why do you think Minnesota let him go? Everybody knows he's a great and, backup. And I think Minnesota made a big mistake. Once he goes back to being the backup, he will be the backup of backups. He is the greatest backup because he can get you through a season, but he's not a starter. Not Man, a starter. Well, anyway, I, that is not the direction I thought the show would turn, but <laughs> I just agree with you. He's not – I mean, he's not Pat Mahomes. We'll he's keep, not we'll, Sean Watson. We'll keep track of. It's, it's one thing about all right, 
to be a good quarterback, you got to have a certain amount of talent. That's what Mahomes has. He has talent. Right. Whether oh, he has immense talent. He that has arm, immense, yeah, that, that arm can. strength. I mean, I picked him up in my fantasy league when he threw that ball to Tyreek Hill, 60 yards in the back I, of the end zone. In preseason, once I saw that, I was like, oh, he's my guy. Yeah, turnovers are turnovers. But the thing about it, the guy has arm strength that he can throw on the run, and he's very accurate on the run. And so not only does he have immense yeah, talent, but he's accurate on the run, and he's a good-thinking quarterback, and not too many people have those many qualities at a young age. Well, his cannon allows him to make throws that if other guys made them, they might be in trouble. Yeah, exactly. He made, he made a throw. I mean, the, the the last rollout on the third and 15, which the clock had expired on him, yeah, that Case, was a throw. Case Keenum would not have made that throw, in case you, you were wondering. You say what you want, but Case Keenum got him back down to the 12-yard line. Case Keenum would not have made that. The hook and ladder was actually a great call. Now, the commentators, which I didn't like, they were criticizing the hook and ladder, but you had 12 seconds. Everybody knows that it takes another 8 to 11 seconds to get back to the line of scrimmage right, right, and right. clock the ball. If he, Unless he would have went straight out of bounds, had he gotten tackled, there's no way they would have gotten another playoff. But if you look, the guy tackled them high on the hook and ladder, which is, which is what you're supposed to do. If he gets that ball and he catches it clean, right. they had a block. That's a touchdown or close he, he, to it. It was a well-designed. Even play. if it's not a touchdown, the guy had he'll the get out of, bounds. Around, out of bounds. Correct, out of bounds. Yeah, they so had it, they it, had it, they had it one play left from right. like the eight yard line. I, I thought it seemed like it, they, were they on the left hash and when they ran it to the left side because it seemed crowded on that side right. of the field. It did seem congested, but it was it was a great call. It just I mean it, it really. I mean, the defense just made it, the the defender, the the cornerback made a good job of tackling high, so he couldn't get the good pitch. Right. But if he would have yeah. got a good pitch, man, that thing was out the gate. So I thought that was a really good call. And Case would have done it again. Nah, Case would not have done it again. <laughs> Case hey, Case is overachieved. I, the first touchdown I was ever a part of was a, it was the same. It wasn't called a hook and ladder. We called it a hitch and pitch. Yeah. Run the hit, and the running back come out of the backfield. And you pitch it to him. So, yeah. But uh, but out of those two teams, Rams or uh, KC, which one do you think is, is the most uh, – has the clearest path to – well, KC can score a lot of points. I I have them in my fantasy league, so I'm I'm loving them. They they're doing great. They have a lot of talent uh, offensively. Of course, Mahomes is the guy as long as he stays healthy. But their defense is just not very impressive. And I don't remember how their defense got so bad so quick because they were pretty good defense a couple years ago. And now I'm looking at them and I'm like, man, the defense is horrible. I didn't like the plays that they were in. They were playing man coverage in the in the fourth quarter with like a minute left in the game where you they need a touchdown to win so it's like what are you doing it's third and 23 and you still playing press man and they're giving up plays so I didn't like the the play calling and I didn't like the way the players were playing so I mean unless they can improve defensively they're gonna have trouble now the Rams who well, are probably get Eric Berry back yeah, to well, Eric they don't have to a, call some better plays but, but it, he's a pro bowl caliber correct guy. so I mean and that may give them room to they may feel more comfortable calling certain coverages with Eric Berry. Maybe they're trying to mask for for weaknesses at the well, same time. And I think what Andy Reid is going to have to realize, in some coaches offensively, uh, Gilbride was guilty of that. They feel like they got to score 30 points a game. I got to hit my average. It's like, well, how many points do I need you to score? One more than the other team. And so when your defense is not that good, you have to control the clock more and try. And, and really, you're not you're trying not to score so fast because you don't want to expose your defense. You can score in three or four plays, but if your defense isn't up to par and the other team is getting three or four more possessions, then it's not going to equal out. And, and sometimes defensively, when you're not playing good, I don't need you to score 30 points. I need you to score about 18 to 21, but I need you to control that time of possession because we're not good. The best thing you could do for us is keep me on the sideline, just right. being honest. So, right, right. Now, with the with the Rams, 
I think they are probably not as explosive as Kansas City, but they have those same type of players, and they have a defense, and that defense is just getting better. I mean, Donald is just like he's a monster in yeah, the middle. Yeah, he's picking up. He's yeah, picking up and, the pace. and he's, I mean, he's the type of guy that he makes everybody else. He's the Magic Johnson. If you get a guy like that, he's going to make – everybody else on defense that much better because everybody's worrying about him. And So I so mean, let me ask you this. You played in the league, what, 11 years? Right. 11 years. And you when you watch the games on television, and I know you can't see the whole 11 on 11, how much more are you able to see than, say, a, just a normal I mean, I, to me, I don't like watching football because I can't watch a football game. I'm going to start rewinding it. I'm going to critique like I'll I'll spend like I was watching the Penn State Ohio State game. I, I taped it and I wanted to see the end of the game because I didn't see how Penn State lost the game. So every play I'm like five minutes on each play because I'm rewinding each guy what he did wrong. Then I go to the next. So it's like I go instant into coach mode. It just happens. So right. it's hard for me to watch a whole game. And and the worst thing is with the rewind on the TV because now it's like I could just sit there and rewind, DVR, stop, see yeah. the little play. So then, so from that standpoint, it takes me a while to watch a game because I don't watch it just as a spectator. It's, it's like impossible. You know? Who's a guy that you appreciate that maybe we don't talk enough about? And, and I got another question for you for Kevin and the Silver Fox, but go ahead. Who's a guy out there on the NFL level that you appreciate that maybe – the masses don't appreciate Maybe a linebacker even. Because, I mean, obviously you played linebacker for years. Well, honestly, to be honest with you, I, I would have to probably look at it a little bit more to see who's the who's that underrated guy or, you know, who's that guy that just, just Who's your favorite out. linebacker well, that's playing right the, now? Well, the, 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 the guy that, I, that I'm really liking right now, I went to the Cleveland Browns camp, is, is the Mike Garrett guy. The big guy, 95. Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett, the defensive Come on, man. man. You can't get the man. I know, I know numbers. Right. I'm like Buddy Ryan. I know numbers. You made, yeah, you, Miles Garrett you made the a... Hall of Fame, and I learned your name. Yeah, but he, he's a beast. But when I watch him, he reminds me, uh, and Clyde Simmons is coaching him. Mm-hmm. And I can tell he reminds me of a young Clyde Simmons with a little bit of Javon Curse mixed in because he's more athletic. Much more, yeah. And, then, and this guy is like, you can tell it's coming so easy to him. Like, he can just get around somebody. Just it, it doesn't even look like he's trying hard. So when the guy has that type of the, uh, talent and intensity, like he's a game changer. Like he he's a guy that can get the Cleveland Browns to that level they want to be defensively, and everybody else is just filling around what he's doing. So so let me ask you this for Kevin Allen: Davion Clowney is a lightning rod on the Houston show. They call he calls him Little Mario after Mario Williams. He thinks he's a bust or whatever. And admittedly, he's been banged up. He missed some time. He's not been what you would think a number one pick would be. Number right. one overall. That's I think you almost say number one overall, you're supposed to be in the conversation for the Hall of Fame. You Miles Garrett. You're right, right. right. That's a number one yeah, pick. Yeah, yeah. Aaron Donald wasn't a number one pick, but that caliber you, you playing that's that, a you're, number you're, one. You're you're a guy that week in and week out, you we on can a, count on you, you making the play. JJ Watt. Yeah, like like my my guy from uh, Denver, uh, fifty eight, Von Miller. Von Miller. Man, he's yeah. a guy that you got. We got to block him, or else he's going to disrupt the game. Or if you a cornerback, you you know you one of those guys that if you throw my way, you know I'm going to make a big play. So I'm almost, I'm, Mack, I'm, I'm Khalil, dictating yeah, right. whatever I'm dictating what you do offensively based on my presence on the field. Yeah, Khalil Mack yeah. has been the really defensive player of the year to this point. Oh, absolutely. He has been yeah. he's been everything and then some and I think pay him, him another pay him another twenty million. Like whatever think, whatever you gave him is like we got a deal. Right. right. <laughs> and I think that him coming out of that West Coast and being in Chicago, 
Now everybody can focus on. Oh yeah, he's, oh, he's gonna be now more. He's, he's gonna be more love. prime time, man. You're gonna get some more cold weather games. So, I mean, it's just it's gonna be his going Yeah, it's gonna but be let's his go type back of game. Clowny. How, how, is Clowney? Clowney's just a guy, right? No, now. wait a minute. But what you did? You see the game Sunday? I saw the one good game he had, but that's the whole point. If you're that guy, the number one pick, okay, so, you're so consistently maybe that's, maybe that's the beginning. You're consistently doing that weekend. He had nine and a half sacks last year. You're consistently doing that weekend and week out. Okay, well. That, that was the start. Uh, he had been banged up. Yeah. He didn't play a lot in camp. They've been they he missed the last two games. All right. So maybe this is the beginning. To me, he reminds me of a guy that has immense talent, but hard work beats talent when talent don't work hard. I don't think he's a hard worker. I don't think I don't think he has a passion for the game. I think he, he looked passionate Sunday. Nah, I think he enjoys the game. I don't think he has. Now nah, I think he does have a mean streak, and he kind of gets he has an anger issue, which is which is a good thing if you can channel it in the right direction. But I don't know. I think the jury's still out. Now, does, now, okay. now does that mean he can't transform his game to be that consistent? Week in and week out, we got an account for him because he has the talent. But to me, he was drafted more off of the immense talent as opposed to the immense work ethic. Like, in my theory, and I tell my son, he plays cornerback, whenever you see a great offensive run, it's at least two, maybe three guys that's loafing on defense. And that's why I kept watching that Penn State and Ohio State game. Penn State on the last touchdown, it's a safety in the cornerback. What the safety's in the middle, cornerback on the side, they're walking to the football. There's a defensive lineman that's a backup because he just got in the game. He's sprinting full speed. Now, he was he was five yards away. He never had a chance to make the play, but he was running full speed. If either one of those other guys was running full speed, they'd have tackled him at the eight-yard line. You're still up by five. They got to score a touchdown. They may fumble the next play. We'll never know what would happen. And so I don't see that intensity every play like – a good defense is like every play, it's 11 guys running full speed to the ball no matter what. And and I didn't see that on Penn State. I saw a bunch of guys who it looked like they were tired or they weren't interested. They didn't play with any passion. They didn't play hard. Even and you on. flipped the script and Ohio State played hard like that. And I think I think that's the type of stuff. It starts with the coach, but then it goes down to the players where it just some – some teams play hard like that and some teams don't. And I think – you know, when you don't play hard, you just don't. The, the game is too many things that can go wrong for you not to play hard on defense. Yeah, and I can think of defenses like that. I think when you think about that Ravens-Pittsburgh rivalry, <laughs> even when Pittsburgh's not that good defensively, that intensity. Right. And, and by the way, and I, and I want to – we got to kind of move on here, but I do want to say this. I think Pittsburgh – well, no, I'll wait because we're going to get into some Pittsburgh conversation a little bit later on. But the, want, but but the, the but, but Clowney, I think the jury's still out. Would you give him? You wouldn't franchise him. No, he has. You let him walk. Yeah, I let him walk. But you he, let him walk. But he has a couple more years. He's no, not, he's up. This is this is not his fifth this year already. Is it. He's coming up. This is his fifth yeah. year. Because Donald and all them came in the same year. They got that money. So he's he's about to be up. They have a decision to make about him. I would franchise him and trade him. But I, I I don't. You couldn't franchise him from the standpoint of not giving him a long term deal. Right. But he hasn't he hasn't done anything to get Khalil Mack. Right. 40 million, 50 million guaranteed and stuff I don't like think that. that yeah, he's not going to get that kind of deal, but right. he he's going to want some money and I think some money out there for him. And I think that we'll see from the rest of the year he may be playing for a contract. Well, then we'll part of it is that he has to just play hard, but I mean the talent's there. I mean, you, you don't get drafted number 1 if the talent's not there. Right. right. He, and he's he can be a beast. Let's go to a segment that we call this or that. The choice is yours. You can oh. get with this or you can get with that. In this segment, I give Eddie a couple of players, situations, entities, and he tells me this one 
or that one. Let's start off with defense. Let's get back into defense. Which defense has a better chance of recovering and having a, a good season, Atlanta or New Orleans? And before you answer, I'm going to give you some stats on both. And I mean, we go into the weeds a little bit with stats. Atlanta ranked 30th in scoring defense, allowing 30.5 points per game. New Orleans 29th with 30.3 points per game. The Saints are 24th. And total yards given up per game with 390.5. And 28th for Atlanta, they give up uh, 403 yards per game. So, which one of those defenses? Because, again, well, you know, you know, I picked the Saints to go to the Super Bowl. Well, you know, the Saints is, I'm I'm season ticket holders for the Saints. And the team that I hate the most is the Falcons. So, it's like, once we beat the Falcons, I got about 20 memes on my phone. And I just start sending out the Falcons fans. It's I just kill him the whole weekend. But the thing about the Saints that you have to realize is that Mark Ingram has not been there for the last four games. They're passing the ball way more than they want to. If you looked at the Saints over the last couple years, I mean, even before they got Kamara, you know, Ingram, I mean, it's always been a two-back offense, and they want to control the clock. They use Drew Brees when they have to. You know, they don't they don't want to have Drew Brees passing the ball 40 times a game. Now, if they have to, they'll open up and do that. But there's so many – I'm always sitting at the games like – Man, you, we, we running the ball too much. We got Drew Brees. Drew Brees, you throw the ball, throw the ball. I think all of the fans are like, they want you to throw the ball all the time. But I think one thing that Sean Payton realizes is that you have to control the time of possession and you control it through running the football. So sometimes the Saints are running the ball in the first half and, and they're getting nothing out of running the football. And you're like, man, it's a close game. It'll let's pay off let's open us. it yeah. up. But I think that controlling the clock, I mean, now that Mark Ingram is back where they can have that power back and Kamara can kind of change his role back to what he was before, I think you'll see that they'll start winning the time of possession. The Saints defense don't have to get better. They just won't be on the field as much to be worse. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I think Atlanta is still going to be in that shootout mode because they don't have Freeman back, and they're not into that two-back, run-the-football, control-the-clock. I know Tim Campbell's be, been serviceable. Yeah, they Tim have. Coleman, not Campbell. Yeah, but it's, but it's both of them. They kind of work hand-in-hand. Hand. And when you, when you lose to that one guy, it's a difference when I'm used to going hard for – 15 snaps and now I'm going hard for 30 snaps that's a big difference and then you got to look at if I do that three four games in a row it's the wear and tear that my body's not used to so I think uh, it's going to really help the Saints to have a fresh Mark Ingram coming back and they'll be able to control the clock so I think because of that the Saints have probably improved the most Uh, yeah I think so too and and not that long ago we thought that oh uh, last year they played great down the stretch well yeah and I thought that you know the Saints defense had turned the corner last year they got a lot of turnovers last year Uh, the kid that gave up the big Play had a great year last year. Yeah, he was. Uh, he he's been he's been struggling early on, but I think it's you know part of that. You know, you you, you make rookie. Year? Yeah, you make rookie of the year the first year. You you you're. Uh, you you kind of have that I've made it and I've, I mean they to me they still are a young team defensively got a lot of young guys that are starting so I think they'll be okay when it's all said and done. Well I tell you what uh, I I agree with you on that one. Next up in this uh, that which team is more likely to dominate and get back to form Pittsburgh Steelers one two and one on the season or the New England Patriots two and two which team can turn it around and have the kind of season that they're supposed to yeah I think that's that's pretty obvious I mean the the Patriots will definitely get it going I mean they still play in the AFC East so you still have Miami and you still have Buffalo, Buffalo and the Jets, Hapless, yeah. and the Jets who have a rookie quarterback. So I mean they still have some games in the bag. You saw how they beat up on Miami. It's just it's just glorified yeah, practice when they play the teams bad. in the East. Because really Miami could have 
put them away. Right. They would have been four and zero, oh and and the New England Patriots would have been one and three on the season. Not going. They could have. They could have really. And they got another W coming to them down the line when they play Miami again. Boy, and I think Pittsburgh. I mean, I think their division is a little better just to start a off. A lot with. better with Cincinnati. Cleveland. Cleveland's, Cincinnati, Cleveland's not an Baltimore. easy win in Baltimore. I mean, and they they still play the um, the NFC South, so I know they still have a game with the with the Saints. I think they still play the Falcons, so they I don't know if they played Carolina yet. So they have some they have some tough teams that they still have to play against, and and I think of course you know Le'Veon Bell is the is the key. He says he'll be back week seven, right? So, but it, you know, but then the offensive lineman had bad things to say, so it's just the chemistry. You know what kind of shape he's going to be? I'm sure he'll be in shape, but it's still a matter of you got to. You can't expect the man to go out there and touch the ball 30 times on the first weekend. Well, and I, I've been so. impressed with Connor. I thought Connor's done a, a really good job to this he's a point. Backup. You got to start learning who's backup. He's, 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 he's not a you starter. You got some backups that's in the hall, Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's not Leroy Lee. Kelly. Let's, let's go on to the I got a good backup for you. Commander Cody Carlson. <laughs> he was a lifetime backup. They trade Warren Moon because they think the commander is ready. No, that's not why he they gets hurt the first, I was there for that. He gets hurt the first game. Game in '94, then he started taking wildlife and safari pictures. We right. never heard from from him again. He literally started he one money. game, and then that was it. Yeah, well, we then, got Steve McNair after that. Yeah, yeah. We, were the only, we were the only team that had three Southwest Conference quarterbacks: Cody Carlson, Bucky Richards, and Billy Joe Tolliver. Yeah, Billy Joe. You know how many games yeah, we won? Yeah. Two. That's how many we won. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that, I, in the whole moon thing, I understand the thinking behind. So it. you got to know when the backups are backup. Well, mm-hmm. I kind of. I mean, again, this he's is really his, his second year. He's still a backup. He's gonna, he's gonna be nice. He, he's a backup to Le'Veon Bell. Correct. He's not backup to a lot of guys in this league. He's not a starter. In this league, either. well, I think he will be. It's a, it's a difference between that mentality of being a backup and the starter. But you, if you, so you saying if you don't start out the gate, you're not a starter. No, nah, what I'm saying is you have to transform your mentality of instead of me coming I in for he, a couple I don't plays. Know what the numbers are, that but every that work. every time on that first snap that I'm they counting on me to be there from the first snap to the last snap, and then you know what they count on me to do it again next week, and then you know what to do it again again the next week. It's a I different mentality from backup to starter. And look, I. I've been having them on my, my fantasy team, so I've been I've been doing work on daily fantasy because you get them for cheap and they give you production. Yeah, he'll hit the wall real soon. Well, well, he, well round week seven, <laughs> then you can go shift gears. Uh, finally, in this or that, with a couple really ugly incidents, uh, if you want to call them that, depending on your perspective, which one was worse? The Jimbo Fisher grabbing the face mask of the young player. He grabs uh, – Tyrell Dotson's right. face mask, or Earl Thomas leaving the field shooting a bird at his <laughs> at his team. Well, I didn't have a problem with the Jimbo Fisher thing because the kid was out of line. He was getting in the fight. He was about to cause a team. He was somewhat out of control. He needed to be disciplined. Pull out the paddles. I mean, I got paddled <laughs> when I was a kid. My mom even paddled me. Right. I don't think nothing's wrong with a little corporal punishment. You got to get on him. So, and I don't think the kid even was upset about it. If that was my son, I'd have Jimbo. Next time, grab a little bit harder and throw his butt underneath the bench because he shouldn't have been doing that. And so – I didn't. I didn't think it was anything wrong with it. That that's just an intense coach. It's an intense moment. I mean, I go back to Buddy Ryan. He said, "What happens on Sunday happens on Sunday. You might get cussed out in the middle of the game. We'll apologize on Monday after we win. It's, you can't have so, thick me, skin and, okay, be, and take son. it personal on Sunday. You have a son. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Okay, I believe you. And, and as much as I want to have a problem with it, I really don't. Honestly, I mean, because I come from an era 
Where that of, was of, just part of it. Thank you. That was just going. That you, was that was in practice on you, Monday. Yeah, you were gonna because because you didn't stretch good. Yeah, you were gonna get. <laughs> I remember not going through a drill, and my coach asked for a forearm pad. And he wanted me to run through form tackling, and he hit me about five times in a row with that form right in the top of my head. I was seeing birds for a while, but, but I but I bet I bet yeah, you know when when, when Friday came, you was ready to go. Oh wasn't yeah, you? we we picked <laughs> exactly. it. But again, so I come from a different era. I think probably what my coaches did was some form of modern day abuse. I don't complain. It made me a better man. To yeah. be honest with you, and I, you know I know people are gonna frown on that but yeah it, well, I think well, it hopefully better. hopefully that i mean i don't think jimbo fisher should i mean he handled it well in the press conference you know he acknowledged but the optics it. of that are not a good look yeah uh, i mean I, i'm sure i'm sure the, the, the ad or the chancellor probably sent them a letter and said hey jimbo you know tone it down a little bit keep in mind that you got millions of people at home watching and they're dissecting recruits, every inch of it and stuff like that. But some parents are going to love it. Some parents will be like, hey, man, you're going to play for that guy. I know he's going to keep your butt in line. He's going to make sure you graduate. He's going to make sure you're not up there acting a the fool. And some parents, they'll send their kids to go play on the West Coast somewhere right, at, right, right. at Washington where it's nice, you well, know, you Stanford, know, you and I both Cal, are, Berkeley, yeah, you know. I, know. <laughs> I think you and I both are sort of dinosaurs when it comes to this kind of thing. I think that we are probably behind the times yeah, uh, yeah. because we endured so much, at least uh, witnessed it and gone through it on, on some levels. So, uh, I, you know, I had a coach. Uh, my co- my uncle was a coach in middle school. If you jumped off line, you got three pops. That's right. And he had that paddle out of practice. Yeah. Now, that that was a bit much, even for then, for me. But you know, that was what it was. So let's go to a segment that we call "Hero, hero. or Zero. Drop that zero. Now I'm going to give you a situation, a scenario. You tell me if that situation, because I don't want to get, I never want to get into calling somebody a hero or a zero. Right. But in that you given, you're gonna make me call them no, a hero. No, no, in that given situation, was it heroic? Will they perform heroically? Or will they be a zero? Hmm. So, so, so that way it's not personal. I don't want to call anybody a zero. Um, let's start off with Mike Vrabel. Passed up a 49 yard field goal in overtime, trailing by three. On a fourth and three, on his own, or actually on the Philadelphia 32-yard line, passed up a 49-yard field goal to go for it on fourth and three. Was that a hero move or a zero move? Well, it depends on who's your kicker and what type of confidence you have in the kicker. Because 49-yard field goal, I mean, that's that's far from a give me. So it's just a matter more confidence in the kicker, more confidence. And your quarterback. So, so give me a it was it a hero move or a zero move? Well, I think it's a hero move. Because it's early in the season and you're showing a young quarterback that I have confidence in you to make a fourth and three. Like if you can't get three yards, it's basketball. You run three yards, turn around, and you just come on, man. With all of the, the the penalties on defense, you gotta be able to get fourth and three, in my opinion. Well, you know and, what and, I'm, and if I if I'm a player, <clears throat> let me trust the offense as opposed to trust this kicker making a 49-yard field goal, unless I got, like, Vinatieri or somebody like that, Martin Anders. I need to have a Hall of Fame kicker. If it's just a guy, nah, I ain't trusting him. Well, I think in that situation, you're on the road, you have this team in a division that you can lose. You're going to lose some games and still be competitive right. in that you division. Go, you can win 10 and be there. Right, you right. can be in the mix. And, and I think given the situation, first year he's setting the tone, in that situation, at Philly's 32, and like you said, 49 yards is not a chip shot. At all. I don't have a problem with that. I'm going to say 
That was a hero move. Next up, Frank Reich. Okay, he did ah, something similar. I, in I, overtime, I watched that game, too. In overtime, Frank Reich. Now, here's his situation. Instead of fourth and three from your from the opponent's 32-yard line, you had a fourth and four from your own 43-yard line with 24 seconds left to play and one timeout. Was that a hero move or a zero move? You're talking about the overtime. The overtime in the play. overtime. Right. 24 seconds left in the game in overtime. Right. And and with that one, I think you had to take the field goal because looking at the whole scenario, you're playing a division team, a division team that has not won a game yet. Well, you would have punted the ball and, and it would have ended in a tie. Correct. Is what and so happened. what right. I would have done is I would have taken the tie and played for the tie because I'm playing a division team that hasn't won a game, and that tie may be the difference between you winning division or making the playoffs. You, it's no need to take a loss because it's not a high percentage on that you're going to convert, and it's not like you have a chance to win even if you do convert. Like if you convert, it's not like you're converting to then kick the game winning field goal. You still have to do some other stuff to get in position to kick the game winning field so goal. So that move was a that was a zero move. That drop that zero. That made no sense. I don't think yeah. anybody. I don't think anybody. Only way that's a good play is if you make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So here, here's the deal. I say that that was a zero move. It was absolutely and, and zero. I, and I'm gonna tell you why. A, you have one timeout remaining. So this, this is what you need. If you convert that, first of all, you ran a little four-yard out. Right. Uh, it, it really, he was at the line. I don't think it was even a five-yard out. He was it wasn't right even, at it the It wasn't line. even a, a good play call. Right, it wasn't right. a good play call. They were sitting on it anyway. So say you convert that. Now you have to use a timeout that leaves you with one timeout. What about 21, 22, 20, 21 seconds left? That means you would have to have one play. And you need to to get 22 yards. On that next play. Right. You needed 22 yards. That would match the season long from Adam Vinatieri. Um, because, again, he's not what he used to be. He's still great. Yeah, he, but still broke the, he still broke year, the record in that game, too, though. But uh, Yeah, but yeah, yeah. all-time record. Right. But his, his long this year was 51 yards. So to get, to get it to the 51-yard range, you needed 22 yards. What did you think was going to happen? Right. Like, there was only one way to really lose that game. And let's keep in mind you gave up 30-plus points to this team already. So take your tie and move on. Take your tie and move on. Right. So I thought that that was a zero move. Finally, hero zero. Jameis Winston returns. Is he going to be a hero or a relative zero from a performance standpoint moving forward? I think he'll be uh, probably like a 1.5. He won't, he so, won't, yeah. he won't, he won't be a zero <laughs> But <laughs> you got to pick one. I mean, Tampa Bay, I mean, Fitzpatrick has something going early. I mean, they, they look great against the Saints. I mean, he was hot. I mean, they definitely have some talent on that team. So I think uh, I think Jameis would come in there and get it going. Honestly, if I was the coach, I would have let Fitzpatrick play that, that last game because you were going into the bye week. I wouldn't have just thrown Jameis in there without having a couple weeks of well, practice. Well, I was getting blown out of the water. Yeah, by time. Yeah, yeah, at that point. So, that was garbage time. Yes, I, I guess. I thought you, that, that, was pra- that was live get, practice. Getting them ready that for problem, the, I didn't have for the next time. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, – I don't. Jameis is a good quarterback. He's definitely a starter, but he's just not a high level starter. So if I have to go hero zero, I'm gonna probably go zero. Drop that zero. Because I just don't think 
that he has the maturity level. I think he has the talent, and he doesn't have Mahone's talent. So it's kind of like when you go less talent, you need more smarts, more maturity, more instincts. If you got supreme talent, you could do all the other stuff don't matter because the talent's going to bail you out. And so I think when I look at, like, Jameis, he's not a really fast guy. I mean, he's kind of somewhat nifty. You know, he has a somewhat of an arm. He makes he does everything pretty good but nothing great. So if you're that kind of guy, your character and your off the field and your leadership ability has to be at a high level. So I don't see that to match that his everything else is kind of slightly above average but not franchise level. So I think it's going to be a zero move this year. He'll win some games. He'll have some 300-yard games. But it's nothing going to – he's not going to do anything to, to say, hey, let's make him a franchise quarterback and build everything around him. Yeah, you know, and, and I think when you talk about that situation and uh, when you talk about Jameis, I think he put himself in a situation where it's going to be a zero move. A, you let Fitzpatrick come in and do all his work. They already really have questions about your character. Leadership. that Leadership, yeah. decision-making. I, I said that, you know, he's done some really – stupid things. I, I said think, that in a previous Honestly, show. I think and, it's almost time for him to go to another state. He needs to leave Florida. He needs to go to a different – he would be great in Denver and take the place of Case Keenum. That's no, what I that's think. that's not going to happen. That's, that's not going <laughs> – Because oh, Case, Case is solid it's, over yeah, there. It's not a thing. Yeah, oh, okay. He better look to go to <laughs> – nah, I, I think, I think, I think he needs a change of scenery. I think he needs to get out of Tampa. He needs to get out the state. He needs to go somewhere where it's just football and nothing else going on. You know, Buffalo, one of Utah those, have one of those, team. one of those purgatory cities where you just, it's just Buffalo and cold weather. Who wants to go outside anyway, except to play? <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, one thing, and I, before we wrap up here and go into why we kneel, we never did talk about the Earl Thomas thing. I want to go back to Earl Thomas shooting a bird at his team. Uh, I thought I'm not mad about what Jimbo did. I'm a little bit more upset with with Earl and how he handled it I, because. Hey, Earl one of my, is one of my favorite players. I mm-hmm. love the way he plays the game. And I think no fans really want to know what goes on behind the curtain. Really, they don't. They want to know money and country, you know, but they don't know how dirty these organizations are, nor right. do they care. And, they, and conversely, they don't want to know what moves players make. They just want them on the team or they, don't, they want them off the team. And I think he can't win in that situation. You can't win. I understand you, you just lost millions of dollars. And, and I challenge anybody anywhere in any industry to have something happen to them where they, they're gonna, it's going to cost them tens of millions of dollars. And the people responsible, or at least in my mind that are responsible, are 40 yards away. I, I challenge a lot of people not, to ignore not, that and not, not, not have shoot that the bird. Same, uh, <laughs> try to get off that cart with the broken leg and use that other foot and put it up somebody. <laughs> right, right, right. So it was Break a, the other leg. <laughs> I understand it was a business move. I just think that no one wants to know how the sausage is made. No one cares. No right. one really cares. I mean, I, you know, but at the end of the day, we throw these numbers around. These are mythical numbers. If you have somebody making six, sixty, fifty, forty thousand dollars a year, this is pretend money anyway. So they don't. They're not gonna feel so bad for a guy when he's making already making. Million. Like, what he, he make this year? Yeah, seven he, million or something. He made like seven that? million, but he didn't get the thirty million guarantee that he wanted. That would have taken like, care oh, of him. Okay, yeah, all right, Earl. And yeah. I just don't think he carried himself. I, I like. Well, somebody said this. I don't know who said it. I think Shannon Sharp said it. Either you in or you out. If you decide to come, 
you got to flip a switch and say, I'm all in. You Put can't, it behind you. Yeah. Yeah, you can't start missing, coming out, coming to practice when you want to, and just going to play well, out you the gonna, year. You're going to get yourself hurt and you're going to get somebody else hurt. I mean, although the NFL is trying their best to, to limit the intense contact of football, it's still a grown man's game. I mean, it's, it's like right. the, the, the closest thing to war without going to war because you are really trying – to, to mess some people up. Well, not they don't want that anymore. Nah, so, it, it still happens, and I think I think the and it was a swag guy he got hurt or hurt hitting Chad Williams, right? Yeah, swag guy. Yeah, Grambling State. But I mean, I think well, well, my 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 thought on it, when I first saw it, I was like, yeah, Earl, that's right. But then I kind of thought about it, and I was like, you always have to put your character first because you have kids, you have fans, you a role model, and so you always have to you you got to have character on and off the field in any situation. But I think. With the emotions and the way he was feeling at that time. And the thing about it is, is although we all realize it's a business, it's like, don't throw it in my face like it's a business. Yeah, it's like, let me suspend reality. Like all you, you got to do, do is give me, give me a kiss before I go home. That's right. all. You, you can treat mm-hmm. me bad, but just give me a kiss before I leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so I think what the Seattle Seahawks did was he felt like, hey, I've been an emotional leader on this team. I was I helped lead us to the Super Bowl, you know, Cam Chancellor, the Legion of Boom, and all that stuff. And so I was that guy. I was putting my body on the line for you week after week, year after year. Like I deserve better. And so I think at that point, then it became a personal thing because now you're personally trying to prevent me from making the most money that I can with my family. Like I'm telling you, like, dude, let's trade me to this team or this team. It's for the benefit of the team. And for me, because you know at the end of the year I'm going to leave and you're not going to get anything. Okay, so at that point, instead of them having the the, the the courtesy to say, hey, you know what, Earl, we're going to trade you and ask for something reasonable. Apparently the Seahawks were trying to be unreasonable. Like they, they were pretty much not really trying to trade him. It was just more lip service. And I think that's when it became a personal thing with him. And so once it became personal, then you get hurt. I can understand why he did it. Now, you can't, you may not agree with it, and it may not have been the right thing to do, but you can definitely understand the amount of emotion and the anger that he probably had towards the Seahawks, you know, in that moment. You know? Well, I, like I said, I, at the end of the day, a lot of fans just heard, mwah, 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 mwah. They don't care. They, they just want him on. And I understand totally what his point of view was, especially with the team falling apart behind him. A lot of people blame the organization, but you look, Sherman had run his kind of his course, Cam Chancellor career ending. Right. You can't pay everybody. They're mad with Russell Wilson, but look, we see around the league, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have much at all. Well, but in the end of the day, let's let's keep in mind that when they won with Russell Wilson, it was because they were paying everybody else. And whenever you can, he was under the rookie whenever deal, you can right. draft, whenever you can draft that young quarterback who can be successful under that rookie contract, you have that window to win for that five years. Like just like Kansas City, they have a great window because this kid is locked up under that rookie first round contract. So for the next five years of however long it is, they don't have to overpay him. So you can spend money everywhere because when the bill comes due, he's gonna be a hundred million dollar quarterback. So you're not gonna have enough money for an all pro safety and an all pro cornerback and an all pro defensive end. It's just not. That's what's happened with Drew Brees and all of these teams where they have that guy, you know. Right. Now, I think the Patriots, they're giving him money in Bitcoins because he keeps taking <laughs> less and less each year. Yeah, he's and got so, a lifetime uh, he's, Yeah, he's getting money some other type of way. I think them and the Dallas Cowboys were doing that. But that's a whole other discussion. So, I mean, well, well Earl Thomas, man, I, I hope it works out for him as far as him still trying to get that 
big contract. The good yeah, thing, yeah. it was a clean break. It wasn't an ACL Same or leg, MCL, bro. something like that. So, yeah, so now you're going to have teams that's going to say, hey, yeah, well, you know what? We would have gave you $20 million a year, but now we're going to give you five because we don't know you're 30 and this and this and this. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that was the, for him. That was the gravity of the levels. situation. But, hey, that's that it, that's the business part of it, why Le'Veon Bell has to, you know, he had to stay at home because – you that running back and you get hurt, man. It's whew, downhill. That's one year and done. So with that, I want to go to a segment uh, called Why We Kneel. Uh, our very own Kalina uh, does this segment for all those people who are not watching the NFL this season because of Colin Kaepernick. We did see Eric Reed get signed. We talked about that on the Houston show. That was a good sign, a big deal. He's going to keep his lawsuit going, but still, he's in the league and good for him. But many people are not watching the NFL and – Kalina is going to give us a segment on why we kneel. Feeling the chilling moments that led to a police officer wow. shooting now. me. Ultimately, wow. it's to bring Please, awareness and make people... Colin Kaepernick kneeling to protest social injustice and police get unsigned by any NFL team. He's fired. He's fired! Why we kneel. On August 9, 2014, a call is placed to the police department in Ferguson, Missouri, citing a robbery in progress with two African-American men as the suspects. Those men were Dorian Johnson and Michael Brown. Officer Darren Wilson spotted Brown and Johnson and set up his SUV to block the men in traffic. An altercation took place between Brown and Wilson. Officer Wilson fired two shots, grazing Brown's thumb. Michael Brown fled and Wilson followed. When Brown stopped, he turned toward the officer and walked toward Wilson. Wilson fired a total of 10 shots on the street, at least six hitting Brown. He was fatally shot in the middle of the street. Brown was unarmed. His body laid in the street for four hours. A grand jury hearing was convened on August 20th to decide whether a crime was committed and if there were probable cause to believe this crime was committed by Wilson. On November 24th, this grand jury decided not to indict Wilson and that his force was defensible. This decision sparked protests and unrest for a total of three weeks and five days between August 3, 2014 and December 2nd, as well as the slogan, Hands Up, Don't Shoot, which is seen as a rallying cry against police violence. Darren Wilson supporters raised over half a million dollars to aid his family. He has said that he is unemployable as a police officer. Brown was 18 years old when fatally shot. Michael Brown, he is why we kneel. That'll wrap up the first half of the show. Got a brand new DJ doing his thing. Check him out. Oh, first, a word from our sponsor, then MK Bauer on the other side. This is episode 73 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Google Play, and KTSUradio.com. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. You're rocking with the official Mixed Gang DJ. Waynehead. Ha. Why? Ha. 
boxing in the whip. I don't even smoke, but we drop toxic and let it rip. Pull up if it smoke, put them bit rocks up in her ear. Chandelier, can you hear? Who that there? Who want the smoke? Who want the smoke? Who want the who? Want the who? Want the smoke? Who want the smoke? Who want the smoke? Who want the who? Want the who? Want the smoke? I hear shots coming on the low from I'm hiding. This attention is so flattering 'cause they admire it. Don't know what's on their mind, but it should be retirement. If the AARP or this Welcome back to episode 73 of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. And as promised, joined now by Moist Capenda, MK Bauer. How are you this evening? I know you're excited about this time of year. Maybe your favorite time of year? It's definitely my favorite time of year. I'm pretty excited about it. I think the, the, the postseason is always great. This year in particular, I think the American League is going to be highly competitive. So I think anybody who's kind of invested themselves in the last six months of watching baseball is pretty excited about what's coming up next. I can't remember. And you, maybe you can help me from a historical standpoint. Have there ever been three 100-win teams enter uh, the playoffs on one side or the other? I mean, I know I that the wild card is relatively new, so I don't think that's happened before, right? I don't think that's happened before. It's definitely the first time the Yankees and the Red Sox have won 100 games in the same season. So based on that, it's probably quite improbable. And, and that, that kind of gets to the point that we were making earlier about the quality of playing the American League in particular is very, very hot. Look, these teams have done an excellent job over the last few years of building their rosters to sustain success. And now you're kind of seeing it all dovetail simultaneously with all three of those teams being very, very good. And let's not forget how good the Indians have been the last three years themselves. Yeah, they sort of have been under the radar. And, and as we unpack this whole entire thing, let me start with this first. We know that there are a tremendous amount of storylines on the American League side. Are we to overlook the National League, or is, or they just have to take a backseat to sort of that East Coast Yankees-Red Sox bias right now? Now, I don't know if it's that. I think, I think we all can acknowledge that the Cubs and the Dodgers in particular are very, very good. And the Brewers have put together a fantastic season, primarily offensively, because they acquired so much talent in the offseason and then embellished that with even more talent during the course of the season by getting Dr. Scope and Mike Moustakis and guys of that nature. But I think when you look top to bottom in terms of roster construction, it's clear that the American League teams are better teams. That doesn't mean that the American League pennant winner is going to win the World Series. But I think when you look at the five teams that are representing the American League in the playoffs, by and large, those are better teams than what you see in the National League. And it's kind of been building that way all season. Even the Red Sox were very good last year. They had J.D. Martinez. They had a historic year for their franchise. The Yankees, you know, traded with Giancarlo Stanton, add into a lineup that was already very powerful. They set a record for the most home runs hit in a single season. The Astros are the fifth team in a division area to win 100 games after winning a World Series. So when you talk about those sort of narratives, it's easy to kind of focus all your attention on how good the American League teams are and kind of dismiss to an extent what's going on in the National League. But I think by and large, the National League teams are very good as well. Do you think that Boston's success and them taking up all of the, the media space, as it were, helped the Astros in, in that they could just go about their business and, and kind of, uh, like even Cleveland to a greater extent, underneath the radar. But did Boston's success this season help take some of the pressures day in and day out off of the Astros? Well, I think it's pretty clear coming in that anytime Boston or the Yankees are good, they're going to get a lion's share of the attention. I don't know if that's a positive impact on the Astros. I think the Astros came into the season very well prepared for the stress that comes with quote-unquote repeating or defending the championship, and I think they approached it the right way. 
And I think it really helps that it's a very young roster by and large. And I think they came in with, with a kind of swagger that you see from younger teams in terms of winning at a level last season where they were relatively young and having the opportunity to keep doing this for a couple more years because of the, the construction of the roster again. So I think it's twofold. Yeah, anytime the Red Sox are good, particularly this good, it's going to garner a lot of attention. But I think the Astros are built in a certain way that enables them to handle the stress that comes with being reigning world champions. Yeah, I know for a title-starved town like Houston to bring in a championship, much like the Cubs with their fan base, not necessarily the city per se, but their fan base, seems like the Cubs last season kind of just succumbed to uh, all the accolades and enjoyment and all the things that come with being a champion. And the Astros have been able to dodge most of those bullets. I know they've had injury problems throughout, but for the most part, from a mental standpoint, you never got a sense that this team felt an overt amount of of pressure uh, to repeat. I think they get a sense that they are self-confident and they kind of believe in themselves, but not the same pressure as most championship teams experience. I think one thing that maybe we're all overlooking was the Garrett Cole acquisition. Uh, As as good as that team was last year, they won primarily based on how how terrific they were offensively and their depth of talent on that side of of the field. Adding Cole to this rotation really changed the attitude and the behavior of the Astros team. To your point about them having injury issues, it enabled them to overcome having Jose Altuve on a disabled list for the first time. It enabled them to overcome losing George Springer for a few weeks. It enabled them to overcome Carlos Correa really having a lost season, not only in terms of the time missed with the injury, but just overall production. Their pitching has been so very good they've been able to kind of bypass all this sort of pitfalls that, that undermine teams that have won the previous season. And they just rolled on. I think the issue with the Cubs, you, you really made a salient point here. When you've gone 108 years without winning a World Series and you finally win, it's easy to kind of be drunk off of all that sort of nonsense that comes after that, subsequent to that. The Especially in Chicago. Avoided that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Astros, by and large, avoided that coming into the season, recognizing that, again, the opportunity to win again was very, very real. And I think, that, again, they approached it the very right way. One of the things that I thought a lot of people thought may have derailed them is sort of messing with the chemistry in the locker room or in the clubhouse, rather, uh, with the acquisition of Osuna. How's that going? I mean, his case got dismissed or it's gone away. But how did how did that whole stretch kind of help this team or hurt this team? Now, that gets back to them having the right amount of veteran leadership. I think having Justin Verlander in the, in the clubhouse helps. I think having a guy like Jose Altuve, while relatively young, he's been around since he was 21, that helps. And Osuna recognized the situation he was coming into. He knew he could walk in and make any noise. And I think he came in very quietly. He kept his head down and did his job. And that played a significant role in him being embraced. Not fully embraced, but embraced enough to allow him to do his job without anybody raising a bunch of ruckus. And let's remember one more thing. I think most critical to all that is performance. Ken Giles was a nightmare for this team in terms of performance and behavior within the clubhouse. Having a guy like Roberto Suna come in and immediately do his job well allowed the other guys to kind of step back and just say, hey, let him do what he needs to do, and we'll figure this out as a group. It's a strong clubhouse. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say that from my perspective because I'm in there a lot. I think people who don't recognize how clubhouses work may not understand that. But that's a very strong clubhouse with a great mix of youth and veteran experience. Of course, winning helps build that sort of camaraderie. But him coming into that particular clubhouse with that particular culture 
it was a perfect situation because I don't know if that works anyplace else. I want to ask you about Dallas Keiko because now it takes something special to be. I mean, he was the guy. He was the guy. Then you take a backseat to a Hall of Famer in Verlander, and now you take a little bit more of a backseat in Gary Cole's acquisition for the team. How is he handling all, all of those things, and, and how does that affect him and his performance? Does it make life easier? I mean, because obviously now you don't have to go up against a number one or number two starter. You, you're going up against the third starter in, in most uh, postseason situations. Uh, talk a little bit about Keiko and, and his uh, the things he's had to endure. Yeah, I think winning cures all ills, right? I, I think he had to adjust to that last season when Roland got here at the very start of September and had that terrific month and basically took over as the ace going into the postseason and then put Keiko on a back burner. Now, let's, let's, let's recognize this. There's a lot going on with him in terms of this being his final season here, potentially with the free agency coming to your point about bringing Garrett Cole in. But I think all the adjustment from him came last year down the stretch, recognizing, being honest with himself, saying, hey, I've had a good run here. I'm not Justin Verlander. <laughs> I haven't won an MVP and a Cy Young. I shouldn't have been a two-time Cy Young winner, which Verlander should have been coming into last season. I don't have the accolades career-wise that Verlander has. And no matter how much confidence you have as a, as a performer, you have to be truthful with yourself as well. And I think he recognized that he was a secondary pitcher on his staff with Justin Verlander here. He made that adjustment last year. Then bringing Gary Cole here didn't change a whole lot because let's be realistic. Keiko was the number two starter to open the season. We're going to go into the postseason with him being number three, but that's based on performance. I think over the course of time, he recognizes where he fits in all of this, and he's not going to let his ego undermine what this team has, the, the bigger goals in store. It's easy to subjugate your ego when you're trying to win a championship, and winning that title last year really helps the whole process unfold. Well, when you talk about the Astros, you have to really start on the offensive side with Bregman. Bregman is, I mean, he's been incredible. He's been. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's been able to do for this team when you think it's Altuve, Altuve, Altuve. And I know this an ensemble group, but what Bregman has done this year has been remarkable. Talk about his performance, if you can, for, for a little bit. He carried the team. And let's not lose sight of this. Out of their top nine performers in terms of plate appearances last year and this year, Alex Bregman was the only guy with a better OPS this season than last season, and significantly so. He carried this team. And let's not get too wrapped up in this narrative of him being a surprise performer. He was a number two pick in a draft. He was supposed to be very, very good. I don't think people expecting him to have this level of power, the 31 home runs, the 51 doubles, this early in his career. That's kind of a surprise. But he's a talented player, and he's a gym rat. And he's committed to being better every time he sets out on the field, and that's really enabled him to have the kind of season he had this year. But let's not lose sight of how much he carries his team. When Altuve was hurt, when Correa was going through what he was going through, when Spring was out for a couple of weeks, and really regression from Brian McCann, who was hurt also, from Maureen Gonzalez, from Gavin Gaddis. A lot of guys did not have Josh Reddick. Didn't have the season this year that they had last year, offensive production-wise. Bregman did and went above and beyond. So it's pretty clear he's a team MVP. It's pretty clear his star is ascendant. He's going to be a superstar caliber player. And I think the reason why they were able to hold on offensively for as long as they did was because Bregman carried them to a point to where it could complement how good their pitching staff was. Now, I mean, all of that being said, this thing could be over <laughs> in five games or less. 
Um, they're going up against a very formidable Cleveland Indians team that have been, we talk about the Astros being under the radar to a greater extent the Indians have. They sort of have gone wire to wire in their division. They kind of, I, I don't know, I think they've led the entire season, if not maybe just for a brief little while. But talk about the Cleveland Indians, a team who I thought would have uh, beat the Astros last season. Uh, hey, I agree with that. It's funny. It's kind of a touchy subject with some people. I think if Astros faced the Indians and the ALCS last year, they would have lost that series. Saying that, I think this year's Astros team is better, and I don't know if Cleveland's team this season is better because of bullpen issues. But to kind of back up to one thing you were saying, Cleveland's been in first place since April 21st. So that's pretty much the entire season. But the quality of competition they face in the American League Central is suspect. And that's the one thing that you wonder how it's going to play out because every team in that division other than Cleveland finished under 500. The Astros collectively, the other four teams in the American West were 18 games over 500. That's key. The Astros played better competition within the division through the course of the year and, of course, had a better record by a dozen games. That's important. But Cleveland's pitching, as much as we want to talk about the Astros having three pitchers, record 200 strikeouts, and Volander, Cole, and Charlie Morton, Cleveland had four in Kluber, Carrasco, Bauer, and Clevenger. They have outstanding starting pitching. Their bullpen has been suspect. Their offense is very top-heavy with Jose Ramirez, Francisco Lindor, Edwin Encarnacion, Michael Brantley, and the addition of Jeff Donaldson. But they don't have that overall line of depth that the Astros have. So, the question is this. How do the Astros pitch to those four primary guys offensively for Cleveland? A, and B, can the Astros get enough ish offense going early on in games to get into that Cleveland bullpen where they've had success against them this season. Those are the two things that are going to really tell tell in the series. Yeah, now, I know that, I mean, that's going to be one whale of a series. I guess on the other side, the world is rooting for the Yankees versus the Red Sox. Can the Yankees uh, get it done? What does that look like? They can. I think, obviously, when you play one team 19 times through the course of a regular season, there is no intimidation factor going on if you have any postseason series. I think that would apply if the, if the A's got past the Yankees and the Red Sox and face cash shows and ALCS, you're not going to be scared. You're not going to be daunted by the, by the challenge ahead. I think what, what hurts the Yankees is their starting pitching is not very deep. It's been really inconsistent in the second half from Luis Severino, who I thought was going to be a superstar and he did not perform like one. Masahiro Tanaka is good, but he's been erratic. You're lo- relying a lot on J.A. Hat to kind of solidify your starting pitching. Now, they're kind of the inverse. As good as their starting, their bullpen has been, their starting pitching has been weak. The Red Sox starting pitching has been very good for the course of the season. Their bullpen has, has kind of shown some cracks. I think what happens is that the Red Sox are so very good at home, that's an advantage. I think their ability to pitch starting pitching-wise is going to negate some of that power the Yankees have. If those two teams were to meet in the ALDS, um, I would clearly take the Red Sox. Saying that, I wouldn't at all be surprised if the Yankees won that series. And you think that the Yankees will get past the A's? I think so. It's interesting to me, as good as the A's have been this season, surprisingly so with their starting pitching, being how much they lost all their young starters and relied on a bunch of kind of veterans who just they kind of, you know, piecing all their way through the second half of the year. They're going with the whole opener concept in the, um, the wild card game with, with Liam Hendricks starting. That's a risk. Um, you don't hey, want to get behind to me. the Yankees. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. but explain the opener thing to me. I'm not, I mean, I'm a long-time baseball guy. I'm not understanding the concept there. Explain well, it to the listeners, too. Well, it's interesting because the, the Tampa Bay Rays did this early in the year, and everybody was kind of making fun of them for, for, for you know running this gambit, so to speak, of having a relief pitcher start the game based on matchups. If, you're, if your lineup is right-handed heavy, you start the game with a right-handed reliever, negate that first-inning offense, 
and then go to a guy who can be some length two through four, two through five, and then again, piecemeal it on the back end with relief pitching. No one thought that would work. The Rays finished 18, 20 games over 500 and made it work, and now other people, like anything else, you know, they're stealing ideas from what they've seen work elsewhere. So the A's are going to try it. Their starting pitching has been relatively lucky, I think, in the second half, and their bullpen is extraordinary. So their thought process is this. Let's not let the Yankees get ahead. Let's start a guy who can negate their right-handed hitting. Then we'll see if that works in the first inning, and we'll go to another relief pitcher, maybe Daniel Megan, who can mitigate those issues for innings two through four. If you get to a point in the, in the game that the A's are leading with their bullpen, with Trinan at the back, Amelia, Sean Kelly, Luis Trevino, I'm forgetting one guy, oh, Fernando Rodney, if you can get to the middle of the game with a lead, if you're Oakland, their bullpen's outstanding, and that's what they're basically trying to do. They're trying to shorten the game like the Yankees did in the late 90s, getting to Wetland and Mariano Rivera, but they're shortening to five innings. So I think the plan is this. Can you get a clean inning out of um, Hendricks in the, in the first? Can you get two or three innings from some other middling relievers or guys who have started before you, started before for you, and get you to the fifth inning? If they get to the fifth inning on the lead, the Yankees are going to be in trouble. And that's just the, an amazing evolution for – the bullpen in the time where you know you were at the end of your career you were a never were if you were in the bullpen back in the day now uh, and then of course the prominence of the closer with the Quisenberries and the Kit Tacovis who was my, my favorite and, and the Eckersley and now you have guys that were like middle relief guys that are you know really really being counted on it's a, a quite an evolution in the sport of baseball and that's the advantage the Astros have now by getting Osuna and getting Ryan Presley. They can shorten the game to seven innings, six innings. I think they, they feel confident in having Hector Rondon, Ryan Presley, and Osuna close, close games, high-level situations because those guys have been very effective all season, and they all have plus stuff. That puts the onus now on your starters only give you five or six innings, or really five innings. If you can get five innings as your starter, but if you're the Astros, and yet Colin McHugh's got a great year working a sixth inning for you, and then you go Rondon, Presley, Osuna, you feel very good about your chances. You're absolutely right. The game has changed completely based on bullpen usage, particularly in a postseason. And I think that's why people feel confident about the Astros' chances because they've, com- they've compiled the bullpen talent to-, to get through the postseason and have a great deal of success. Well, it's prediction time. Let's uh, let's see who you're picking on both sides of this thing. In the in National League, who's going to the NLCS and who's going to the World Series? I think it's going to be the Dodgers and the Brewers and the NLCS. It's weird. It's weird for me. I don't like the Brewers starting pitching. I like their bullpen a lot. I like their offense a lot, and I think that's going to be enough to get by the Dodgers. The, the advantage LA has clearly is that they've been here multiple. They won a division six years in a row. They won a pennant last year. They're going to be in the situations where they're accustomed to the pressure that comes to playing this deep in October. Milwaukee will not. Milwaukee has to find a way to get to their bullpen with a lead, or at least in a close game. And I think if they do that, they'll have a great deal of success. I'm, I'm taking the upset. I think the Brewers will win the National League. If the Astros can find a way to get past Cleveland, I think they match up very well with Boston. I, I, as Boston won 108 games. I don't think the Astros are going to be concerned with that at all. I think this is a good matchup for them, other than David Price. So I'm seeing um, the Astros and the Brewers in the World Series. Astros, Brewers, World Series. I will go. I would like to see the Cubs and the Astros. 
I think that that would be a whole lot of fun to see. If not a rematch, I'd like to see a rematch of the Astros and, and the Dodgers and, and see what, what excitement that would bring. But it, it's going to be, I mean, and we've been building toward this American League postseason for a while. We've been looking at this. We knew these games were coming. And, boy, it's going to be some history made in the next couple of weeks. So I, I'm sure you agree with that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Again, back to the initial point, three 101 teams, all in one postseason, that's going to be a lot of fun. And you think whoever survives that, if they're healthy, um, that's going to give them an advantage of whoever comes out of the National League. Well, before we let you get out of here, tell us, tell folks how they can reach you, how they can read you, how they can hear you, how they can see you. Uh, how can they reach out to you? Well, I've been writing for Forbes this year, so if they look on Forbes, you can find some of my work. And you can also find me on Twitter at Boston. Those are the, the two best avenues to, to find me if you're looking for me. Hey, well, I want to thank you so much. I mean, like every time we speak, I say the same thing. Man, we should talk to you more frequently because it's, it's, <laughs> it's such a compelling conversation because, again, you know your stuff, and that's why we turn to you, and our listeners certainly appreciate that as well. want to thank you, Mr. M.K. Bauer, for joining us, and uh, we certainly appreciate it, and we'll keep an eye on it. Maybe we'll visit again before the World Series. Sounds good, Dad, and appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Want to thank MK Bauer for that baseball talk. Always refreshing. Want to bring in Eddie Robinson for a segment that we call Birthdays. This is where we recognize a few sports birthdays from the past. And one one thing I like about having you on the show, you have a frame of reference for most of these people. So uh happy, happy birthday to Rod Carew. Okay. I'm a big, I'm a big Rod Carew fan. Oh, yeah, Rod Carew Minnesota was a, Twins, yeah, he was a man. He was a knew how to hit. He put the ball. In. I, I, you know, and I, what I liked about Rod Carew is that he didn't always swing as hard as he could every time. He knew how to hit a base hit. You know, he he was Mr. Single man. He just right. put a ball in play. He put a little quail over the shortstop head, or he'll go opposite field with it. So, man, you yeah. gotta like Rod Carew. Mark McGuire on the opposite end of that mm. spectrum. Happy, happy birthday. Uh, to Mark McGuire, what was it? Ninety-eight was the year, uh, man. Swinging for the fences, him and him and Sammy Sosa. Yeah, man, I was looking at something that, and just how exciting the times were. I remember seeing Sosa in the Astrodome that year, and whenever he swung, any pitch came, it was just flash bulbs, flash bulbs. You'll never see that again because everybody. Yeah, that that, that summer, that summer with McGuire, Sosa, and yeah. Gary Bonds, when everybody oh, man. Was, was chasing the home balls, was just flying it out the stadium left and time. right. That brought baseball back after the strike. It did. It but then, did. of course, you had the steroids that were involved, so it was right. somewhat of a – Double-edged uh, Deceptive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, also, Calvin Johnson, Megatron. So, you know, are you surprised he stayed retired? Uh, you know, I guess he did Dancing with the Stars. You know, I mean, you surprised by that? I think every year you get out of it, the further away you get from it, the harder it is for him so to come, come back. back. So if he yeah. if he didn't come back after the first year to year and a half, then you would say he probably is not coming back. Unless you yeah, no, nah, nah, he's not coming T. O. back. T.O.'s the only yeah. guy that just take three years out. Don't let it go. And all of a sudden, I'm back again. I'm like, T.O., where have you been the last three years? Right, right. Um, Brian Gumble. I, I remember back from his NBC days when he did uh, the pro <laughs> and do, doing great work on HBO and has been for many, many years. Brother Greg, CBS, uh, 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 doing work. Uh, Kevin Durant, happy, happy birthday to Kevin Durant. Got another championship waiting for you. I don't think LeBron's going to derail you, but we'll, well talk hey, more about hey, that. Hey, 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 don't, don't cut out my Houston Rockets. No, 
got Melo, yeah, three-point okay. shooter. Yeah, hey, we'll get into I, that. I, I hear Jimmy time. Butler might be coming. I don't know. I'm just saying. Hide your wife, hide your girl. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Butler going to keep it real. He's going to be that intimidating force you need. But, yeah, that's that's good to, to old KD. I mean, KD is – Think he's gonna leave and go with LeBron? That's the thing. He's gonna win one more in Golden State and nah, go to LA. I don't even want him. That's almost the soap opera WWE storyline. The NBA loves. <laughs> the NBA loves this kind of stuff. But they you know, LeBron. Like somebody's going with LeBron. Think about this. Anytime you can't talk about the product on the field, on the court, because you know, you, it's a foregone conclusion. At least in the West, who's going? You think it's Boston in the East? Maybe Toronto or Kawhi, but you know Golden State's going to win it all. And so it's a foregone conclusion, so you have to create these wrestling-like storylines. Keep, keep everybody keep, involved. Yeah. And, and so that, I don't even want to start with that. And so finally, on the happy birthdays, Steve Sable. I think he is the most underrated. He and his father, Ed Sable, the most underrated contributors to the world of sports ever. Yeah. Because without them, think about this. We will never see footage of Will. But we will never see footage of Will Chamberlain, right? Yeah. And we don't have a lot. We have some footage, but not, not a lot of romance footage of baseball stuff. I mean, we do, but not in the way I like the NFL. NFL. Yeah, he captured he captured the NFL from day one, from the first Super Bowls, and has crates and crates. So you just think the the vision that they had to think just keep the camera rolling and and, it's, and, it's and, the, and the storylines they they did they did one of the things on the making of it because i love those old nfl films when the, the guy who has the voice you know john Fassin. yeah he said john the, right the whistling winners a radar and he blows from sea to sea he'll <laughs> yeah. knock you up and down and upside down and don't care what he got so that whole thing i, I just know that whole raiders i like what about favorite one and so, uh, man, you got that. Just that makes you want to play football. That makes you want to go right. get your helmet on, go in the backyard. How many times? Just, I don't care what position you play. How many times have you emulated the slow motion running oh, underneath yeah. the ball and the ball hanging in the sky? You catch that over the, the shoulder the catch. Scene. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Those two things, but that that NFL Howard Cosell film. and I, that, he. I mean, that's that's you know that Howard Cosell. He always gonna be the man. It's, it's yeah, I mean, so yeah, so also locally. Uh, that, that was that was your best Howard Cosell for. I mean, because you at you, this point. you were an actor and a writer and a, no, I'm and not an actor. And never the, was and the thespian. I figured you had a good no, Howard Cosell no. person in person. Director, playwright. So, but um, yeah, oh, yours is hard. But let me give you mine. This is Howard Cosell, and while Miami has the oranges, no, well, I messed it up. This is Howard Cosell. <laughs> And while Miami has the oranges, Buffalo has the juice. That's right, juice. O.J. Simpson. <laughs> so this is something that you have worked on, apparently. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you'd have no idea we were I have that, but I'm a Howard Cole. I'm a I'm a sports fan. Right. You know what I really love with this 30 for 30 and all of the old stuff. My youngest son Trey, he's in an A grade. He know he'll come and say, "Daddy, what happened to so and so back?" And I'm like, "How you know that?" Oh, I was watching 30 for 30. So he. He yeah. he watches because it's is I save all my thirty for thirties on on TV and it's on Netflix too. and also the the inside the NFL, I mean the uh, the NFL player profile so he'll watch he's like daddy you played against the bus man the bus went to Notre Dame and I'm like how you know about it, man you know me and the bus used to go at so it's cool because I'm talking to a twelve or thirteen year old about stuff that like gets me excited and he has a good reference points to it because he watches these documentaries and so they're kind of doing. The same thing like this, the old NFL films did, 
So like when I, I mean, I grew up. I mean, I didn't. You know, we had one channel at the house. You know, it was, and, and my right. sister wanted. She used to kill me trying to watch this, uh, this, these, 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 these fruity, fruity shows on on Sunday morning. So I could never watch but one station of the NFL. So I mean, you didn't really get to see the Pittsburgh Steelers and all these other well, we teams, saw them now. right? Yeah, so you, we so, saw plenty of them. so you got to, so you got to see about the other NFL. I mean, we didn't have ESPN or anything like that. Well, see, I didn't have I cable. For my youth. So those NFL films, when they would come on, I mean, you would sit down like over that Thanksgiving and Christmas and playoffs, and you just watch them from like beginning to end. You right, know? And, and the Super Bowl when you watch the thirty-minute second breakdowns of each Super Bowl. Oh yeah, and they yeah. still run those. I always associate if the Oilers weren't playing, you were always going to see the Raiders on NBC. The Raiders on NBC and on Channel 11 on CBS, it was always the Cowboys. Cowboys. So you were going to see, and I hated the Raiders and I hated the Cowboys because it was always Kirk Gowdy doing, uh, and then Don Crickey doing the Raider games. And then, you know, and those were the vintage Raiders too. So, And, and then of course you had Monday Night Football. Uh, locally, uh, on the, in addition to the celebrities, Ariana Day, happy, happy birthday. She's a she's a theater person. She stage manages and runs things behind the scenes. She's doing, a, I mean, she's a life devoted to the theater. And my man, Errol Anthony Wilkes, he has a play opening on the campus of Texas Southern. So if you are in Houston, you definitely want to check that one out. And those are our birthdays. And to all of those folks, Happy birthday! Everybody sing with me now. Happy birthday. Just for the birthday, people. Happy birthday. Everybody, everybody, everybody. Happy birthday. 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 But I hope your ship sinks with no lifeboat and no life preserver and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. And Lamont was a big dummy. This is where we recognize somebody in or out of the world of sports that just deserves to be recognized for their buffoonery. Now, we talked about helicopter parents earlier, but I want to talk about some parents who are suing uh, a school district in Missouri because their son got cut from the soccer team and can't go back and play JV soccer. Mm. So now they're saying it's sex discrimination and age discrimination, and they're suing the district so he can play JV because he wasn't good enough to make the varsity team. Now, what they won't allow boys to play, if you get cut from the varsity team to play junior varsity, because they want the young town to come up and develop. The women, however, do let girls go and play JV if, you know, if they have a spot or whatever, whatever. But these parents have decided that they want to take it to court. They're going to lawyer, they're, they yeah, they're lawyer, gonna lawyer up. up and and, and may, get it, may win the case. I have to go look and follow up with it. But in any case, to bring the court system in because your son didn't make the grade, that is absolutely horrible. And for that reason, you are a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> With that, before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go. Hey, any final thoughts from you, Ed, before we wrap this thing up? Oh, man, just a just a great time to be in Houston, just to be a sports fan. I mean, I think the Texans getting that first W, and, and you never apologize for winning. You win, you win. I don't care how, you, I don't care how it happens. You take that W, you go on to the next one. But, I mean, you have the Astros starting the division series. You have the Rockets with a 
a lot of intensity of getting that season going. So I think it's just a just a great time to be a sports fan. Just a lot going on and uh, see what happens. Well, hey, I think the Astros will be in great shape. I think, unlike the Cubs, I think they'll live up to it. I think they will be right back at it. So if I'm calling my shot before the, the – oh, Who you got? Who let's, let's say that. before. Who you like in the World Series? Give me, I, give me your taking, two teams. Astros, obviously. I'll take the Astros and Milwaukee. All right, I'm going to take the the Yankees, the New York Yankees, trying to go for number 28. <laughs> and I think it's about time. We've been paused on 27 for a while. And although I like Milwaukee, I just think the stage is going to be a little bit too big for Milwaukee. I really think that the Cubs, if they can get past. Then that would be a great World Series Cubs-Astros. No, I was thinking Cubs and the, <laughs> in, in the Yankees. That's what I'm thinking. It's, yeah. it's about time for the – I mean, baseball is not baseball the get past the A's. without the Yankees winning. But if they do get past the A's, I think that they have the number on Boston. And I think the Yankees, if they get hot, I mean, they – you know, it comes to pitching at this and, time and, of year. And I know Boston pitching is fading a little it's, bit. It's fading, now. and the mm-hmm. Yankees' bats are getting hot. So, But I, if I had to bet, if I had to go with my head and not my heart, I would definitely go Astros. I think the Astros have the, the pitching Balance, rotation yeah. set up. They have confidence. I mean, they have the young guys. Bregman, is, Bregman yeah. is like, I mean, I mean, he's to MVP. me, he's he's that guy that you didn't see him doing this well this fast. He gave you a little taste last year, and now, I mean, with him in the lineup, it's just like he's that one extra bat that just gets you to that next level. And also, I want to send a big shout out to uh, Prairie View in the swag. Uh, broke Gramlin's 26-game SWAC winning streak. Yes, man. Gramlin was pimping the SWAC. They were going through like Jackson State used to back in the day. Man, and, and Gramlin just has been on the tear. Uh, they, and they, we had to see both of those teams down the road here at Texas the Southern. The Tigers. Yeah, so, yeah. Hey, man, I want to thank you for joining us. want to thank our DJ. want to thank our sponsor, Cobank Homes. And want to thank all of you guys. want to remind you, you can tweet me at Wade's Word. You can tweet Eddie at erob 50 In addition to that, you can find us on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page. Please continue to tell a friend. Talk about us at the water cooler. And uh, share us. Like us, subscribe, give us some feedback, let us know what you're thinking, what you like, what you don't like, and keep listening. Thank you, and as always, have a great day. You're rocking with the official Mixed Gang DJ. Waynehead. Hi. Hot boxing in the whip. I don't even smoke, but we drop toxic and let it rip. Pull up if it smoke, put them bit rocks up in her ear. Chandelier, can you hear? Who that there? Who want the smoke? Who want the smoke? Who want the who? Want the who? Want the smoke? Who want the smoke? Who want the smoke? Who want the who? Want the who? I, I, I hear shots coming on the low from what I'm hiding. This attention is so flattering because they admire it. Don't know what's on their mind, but it should be retirement. If the AARP or this AR gets firing. Black, they don't want smoke on me. The diamonds is choking me. They put in the potpourri. These bitches are 0-3. And they in the lower league all in my ovaries. The fur on my shoulder mink. Tell me what ho would think. I get the money. I am the king of New York and I rock and saw and weave. I run it, I run it, I relay the wig They talking, they talking, I'm taking it in I did not come here to make new friends You burn the bridge and I'm making it mad I'm trying to make one of these none. throw they hip by So I can give them the rest of their zip by that little bitty booty be moving. 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 That little bitty booty be 
Bring it back, Montana. Look how it's moving and scooting. Look how it's scooting and moving. Look how she moving for pony. Tell her baby booty be moving. Yeah, sell that like a contractor. So I can crush like a compactor. Fall off, that's a non-factor. I stay on point like a protractor. Drop that booty low, drop it to the flow. Drop it like some, yeah, like some slow motion. Loki making a movie. Look how that little booty be moving. I got a bad lip.